This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Good morning, folks. Those of you dropping in pretty near, and for those of you coming coming in virtually from far, far away, welcome to this morning, Valentine's Day, 2021. All right, I'm not really proud of this, um, but in junior high, I had this clock radio, you know, the ones with the red digital LCD numbers, and at night, I would put the volume slider uh, on its lowest setting, and I would put it under my pillow uh, before going to sleep, and I would listen to the sweet jams of Coast 103.5 with the Honorable Delilah presiding. And lovers all over the Southland and beyond would dedicate their songs, and they'd have a few fumbling words of their professed love and and all the while in the background uh, there's sounds of seagulls and waves gently lapping up against the sand and then and then after these fumbling words Steve Winwood bring me a higher love bring me a higher love whoa right uh, but when Lisa Sanchez told me that she didn't like me, uh, I switched to KROQ. I switched to K-Rock. 13 years old and jaded already. Uh, today is Valentine's Day. It's not a church holy day. It's not a part of a regular preaching rotation. Um, but it would be good to hear again about a higher love. Um, This isn't just for those who are young and dreaming of first loves. This isn't just for singles who uh, want to be married someday. This isn't just for singles who want to stay single. This isn't just for those who are engaged and excited to be married. This is for everyone. It includes the newly married, the shortly married, the long married. Um, uh, Love, love for many of us is in a constant state of distortion. And it needs a little bit of a straightening. Uh, to do this, uh, we will need the help of our modern poets. Poets like The Weeknd and Lady Gaga, Justin Bieber, Billie Eilish, Mighty Cyrus, Drake, Future. Um, I, I think this. I think poets and songwriters, musicians, they, they capture the longings and the dreams and distortions of a culture. It's why we call it pop music. Uh, Not only is it representative of the popular populace to be repetitive and redundant, but it also strikes a chord of agreement. It's why they become popular, because something is striking 
the chord, the chords of the heart of the populace. Um, Samuel Delaney, he, he's kind of a prolific science fiction writer. And he has this thing where he talks about the craft of science fiction. And he says, you know, science fiction is not really about the future. Uh, he said it only uses the future in a narrative sense uh, as a way to show the dreams and the distortions of the present. He thinks science fiction is more about the present than the future. I think our modern poets are doing the same thing. They're latching on to the dreams and the distortions of the present and packaging into something with lyrics and a beat and choreography. So I think it is very important to have an ear to the pulse of pop culture. Um, not so that you're in the know, not so that you can use current jargon and wear the right things and eat at all the cool places and somehow stay hip. No, no, no. That's vanity. That's vanity. It is superficial and it will kill you. But I think it's good to hear the voices of pop culture because they are longing for something. They are proposing that this is a life well lived. Uh, they are proposing how to go about finding all the good things in life. So it's good to pay attention to the voices of pop culture. So what what I, what do I want to do in our time? Uh, one, I just want to I want to I want to hear what the modern longings for love are, and I, really. Uh, the, the sample I'm using is really from just the top 25 songs from 2020. Um, yes, it's a very small sample size, but it's a good representative slice. So I want to look at the modern longings of love through our modern poets. Um, and, and two, uh, maybe it's, I, I want to look at how Christianity and Christ specifically um, how does it even compete? How does it even have an answer to all those hooks and riffs and sweet dance moves? Um, so over the last year, I've been putting all these little snippets in a file on pop love. I knew I was going to do this someday, um, so I've been filing them away. And so th this last week before I opened up that file, uh, I did a little exercise for fun. Uh, yes, this is what fun looks like for your nerdy pastor. Um, but before I examined the songs again closely, uh, I made myself write out what I thought the modern longings for love were. Uh, so it was almost like my hypothesis before I looked any further. And so I grouped all of my thoughts into kind of three main headings. And this is, this is what my hypothesis was. This is what I proposed. Is I thought um, modern love um, is searching or longing for one... Um, and I put here just the transcendent. And that, that's what I mean by this. I don't necessarily mean God hunger. Like, I don't think they're longing for God himself. But I mean that they're longing for love as a stand-in for that God hunger. So they're longing for something that is above themselves, outside of themselves, wholly uh, different from their common experience, something unique, something unicorn-like, something that's not pedestrian, something that's bigger and fuller and, and has more power and it's a force beyond, um, almost something otherworldly fulfilling their worldly 
needs. So that's kind of what I meant, is I thought maybe they'd be point to transcendence in some way. Uh, the second category was obvious, um, is that I thought it would be very physical and very sensational and um, a longing for truly visceral experiences attached to nerve ending to, uh, nerve endings so all the senses a pleasing happiness I thought um, many of the songs would be consumed with this now it actually makes a lot of sense um, wh why would a world be consumed with physical sexuality well if the physical world is all that we have it actually makes sense that the best feeling of that physical world would be a pursuit Right? All the consuming pursuit of sex doesn't shock me, and I don't think it should shock you. It actually makes sense, given the presupposition that this is an entirely physical, material world, and there's nothing beyond. So, um, Cardi B might offend your sensibilities of civil decorum, but she's entirely consistent with a worldview that says, you know, the physical is all there is. And she is simply saying, well, then let's go to the top of those physical sensations then, if the physical world is all there is. So the third category was this. It was transcendent. I, I thought I thought the first one would be transcendence. Uh, the second one I thought would be just consumed with physical sensation um, or sexuality. And then the third, I thought um, it would be longing for something that was enduring something not temporary or ephemeral. And I think I just say this, not necessarily from the songs I was, I was, I was ingesting, but just over years and years of conversations and counseling and broken relationships, um, people, and by people, anybody I've interacted with, people are wondering, is there a love that exists that doesn't break? or doesn't fail, or doesn't go away. Uh, p people are wondering, is there a love that exists that doesn't just eventually sour on me? Um, and if uh, it doesn't ultimately disappoint them, um, they themselves don't become a disappointment to someone else. So those are the three. That was my hypothesis. That was the three that I thought would be prominent. Um, transcendent love, uh, physical love, and enduring love. That was my hypothesis, and I, I went through the songs, and I listened to them, and I broke them down. I broke down the poetry, broke down the lyrics, and I, I actually was a little surprised. I was surprised. Um, I don't think my hypothesis was fully true. Um, I was surprised at the longings of what we call pop candy. I was surprised at what the longings of what Harold Bloom calls the most vacuous and superficial generation this world has ever known. Uh, there was a category that actually dominated all of the music I was looking at by a long shot. And these were not small longings. They were all incredibly transcendent. It was transcendent love by a long shot. All of these songs were just clamoring for and pining for. Give me a love that is superior to my own weak love. Give me a love that can explain other things and guide me, protect me even. Give me give me a love that, that, that strengthens me and a love that teaches me things. 
It, give me a love that is so forceful it can't be messed with or altered and it can't be touched. Literally, these songs, and, and we're going to go through some of them, but some of them were just literally uh, wanting them to be heavenly, wanting them to be in the galaxy, in the stars, baby. Um, uh, these songs were cl- just longing for something that brought you to a different place, a different space, a different dimension, something that couldn't be um, duplicated or replicated in kind of earthly terms. These songs were crying for a love that could pull them out of muck and pull them out of dysfunction and disrepair. All of these songs uh, were longing for something that was all-consuming, and yet wouldn't destroy you or tear you apart. All of these songs, they wanted something that was unique, but not fueled by mere human love and disappointing love. Now, I know when we hear 1 Corinthians 13, it's connected in some Pavlovian way to canon in D. Like we all start salivating for wedding appetizers and hearing, we hear the song, all the single ladies, like in the background, right? Um, and, and I think because we've heard 1 Corinthians 13 at wedding after wedding, we can think of love as this list of actions to do. Um, but I, I gotta tell you, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul isn't really talking about marriage. Um, and sure, you can make some of this apply to marriage, but he's really not talking about marriage. He's talking about a person. And he's talking about someone who, um, uh, someone understanding who the person of Jesus is. And um, uh, this person who understands the person of Jesus has breathed in what they understand about Jesus to the extent that it starts to govern all the areas of their life and interactions and relationships and dealings and perspectives. And and so Paul is speaking to... um, uh, this this church at Corinth and they're incredible global citizens. It's a global city, and so ambitious, wonderful, talented people are drawn to global cities. And in Corinth, it's no exception. Um, Corinth is just crawling with accomplished, wealthy, educated, um, global travelers, right? And Paul says, uh, "Yeah, yeah, but you guys don't get. You don't get what love is about." because you've attached it to actions and not to a person. You have a ton of knowledge and you connect love to that, but you don't understand what love is. You can teach really well. That's an action, but you don't know love yet. You're willing to be generous and give an action, but you don't know love yet. Um, You're willing to take hell for being a Christian and a Jesus follower, an action, but you don't know Jesus himself yet. You don't know love yet. And so the list that we get, the familiar wedding list that we get in 1 Corinthians 13 is not an action set of things we wake up doing. Because love isn't some abstract set of ideals. Um, Paul is describing a person. And he's describing that person in the context of a community. Um, It's He's not describing it 
as a lone ranger detached from. He's not describing a lone couple who has who has found a special love and they're flying above everybody else. Um, no, he's describing the embodiment of love and then how you'll recognize it. And so those familiar words, right, even starting from verse 4, love is patient and kind. Love is. He's saying the person love is, is that way. The person does not envy or boast. This person isn't proud or rude. This person doesn't insist on its on his own way. Um, it's not irritable or resentful. And he, go, and he goes on in this list. Um, so Paul, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, he's saying, um, you need, I need a person who is these things. That's a transcendent love right there. That's not going to be found in our versions of love. So when I hear these pop songs, and when I looked at them this past week, like I didn't, I didn't raise my eyebrows in like fake shock or disgust. No, they're drenched in God hunger, God longing. They're loud, creative songs of the human heart clamoring for a substitute of something that God himself is. So, so when I hear um, The Weeknd, and you might have seen him in the Super Bowl halftime this, uh, just a week ago, um, when he sings Blinding Lights, he says, I can't see clearly when you're gone. Talking about his lover, right? He's saying, I need you so I can be me, and I don't have something in myself, and I need you to be that. He sings, oh, when I'm like this, you're the one I trust, right? I'm going to believe that you have something I need, and I'm going to rely on that. He sings, maybe you can show me how to love. And he's hoping, he's hoping that maybe something can pull him out of where he is, because he can't pull himself out. When I hear Lady Gaga sing Rain On Me, um, she sings, Living in a world where no one's innocent, oh, but at least we can try. Right? I hear someone who sees the brokenness and hoping, is there a love? Is there a love that, that fixes it? Is there? She sings this. Uh, she sings same song, Rain On Me. She says, Hands up to the sky. I'll be your galaxy. I'm about to fly. That, that that's that's worship transcendent language. Love might pull us out. It might pull us above. When when Miley Cyrus sings her song Prisoner, um, she says this: "I tasted heaven. Now I can't live without it." What is she doing? She's giving transcendence. She literally says the word heaven. And the absence of it, it's going to kill her. It's so close to good theology if it wasn't so focused on the creation instead of the creator. Ed Sheeran, Afterglow. We were love drunk, waiting on a miracle. This is a new dimension. This is a level we're losing, where we're losing track of time. What is that? It's the language of heaven, otherworldly, different plane, where it's where it's love, but not like plain old world broken love. You know, when, when Justin Bieber sings Monster, 
he says some he says something interesting in that song. He says, you know, he's talking about his lover, and he says, "You put me on this pedestal and tell me I'm the best. Raise me up into the sky until I'm short of breath." He's saying, "Whoa there, whoa there! You've made me transcendent." And then he asks this devastating question: "But what if what if I trip? What if I what if I fall?" then I'm the monster. Just let me know, what if I, what if I sin? What if I, what if I break? See, he gets it, doesn't he? If someone claims transcendence and ascribes transcendence to someone who cannot possibly hold that kind of water, then that person can never fail, never mess up without what? Breaking the spell of mythic transcendent love. So Drake, he gets that um, promises. He gets that you can promise transcendence. It's part of his game. Tussie slide, right? I could dance like Michael Jackson. I could give you a satisfaction. He's saying this like, I can supply what you need and what you really are longing for. I want to try to supply your longing. I'm going I'm to try to fit that transcendent bill. Now, Selena Gomez sings about someone who was promised transcendence, right? In her song, Lose You to Love Me. Um, you, and she sings this, you promised the world and I fell for it, right? Someone promised her transcendence, something big and above. No, it didn't, it didn't pan out. And then it falls apart. And uh, the kid Leroy sings this in Without You. He says, you cut out a piece of me, and now I bleed internally, left here without you. Kid Leroy, you know, he says this, like, I place so much on you fixing me, lover, and that now that it didn't happen, it's doubly damaging to me. <laughs> the Black Eyed Peas gave us Mama Sita last year, right? Give me your kiss. Give me your heart. Give me your body. Give me your everything. That's that, that, that's a worship language. That's right. That's transcendent language, right? Heart, soul, mind, body, strength. That's that's transcendent language. And then if you do that, then they will deliver back everything you long for. Give me everything, and I will deliver what you were really longing for. That's worship language. Um, Ozuna with their song Caramel or Carmel, whatever, however you say it. You know, they sing about getting carried away. This uncontrollable feeling that takes them to a different place, a different dimension, a different space, a different place, a different plane, above and beyond. Beyond what? The mock and the mire of this existence. Um, I, I was listening to Eminem and, and Drake and Future and Jack Harlow and Internet Money and 24K Golden. You don't have to listen to these, right? But w what do they do? They are name-dropping the biggest, most luxury brands the world has to offer, right? Gucci, Louis, Fendi, Prada. That's Lil Uzi Vert saying that. Bentleys and Quavassier and Draco AK-47s and Dolce and Gabbana and Maybox and Diamonds and Bling and stacks upon stacks of cash. And maybe, maybe getting to the top of that pyramid gets me higher. 
Maybe the best of what this world has to offer in material things can launch me to some sort of transcendence above it all. Maybe it delivers. Maybe, maybe it gives. Maybe, maybe it even makes me worthy of love. Maybe it proves, maybe it approves me. Maybe it work, maybe all of those luxury goods work backwards and makes me finally lovable. And don't be shocked. Don't be shocked at the brazen sexuality and explicit nature of Cardi B and Joel and Randy and Ja. What they are describing physical sensations, wait for it, that Jesus Christ designed himself. Don't get prudish here. Um, all the parts all the nerves, all of it, all of it designed by Jesus Christ, Creator. And a physical resurrection doesn't mean less sensations. It means more. More than Cardi B and all the porn pixels combined. See, see, we don't de-sexualize creation in the interest of redeeming the world. No, we place it in, inside of a better story with love embodied as a person that defines himself, not, 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 not as loving, but as love itself. And if you get that, then you don't have to squeeze love out of every single sexual pursuit. Um, here's the implications for us, and I, this is just briefly. If, if you're a young person and you're waiting for that first love, you will not find a special plane and feeling and unique place of love that no one else has experienced. Not, you won't find that in human love. You, you, whatever you feel, you're going to feel like it's special and unique and nobody gets you, but your parents will have experienced the very, very same thing. You're going to think, this feels special and no one understands. Nope. Just wait until it sours. Human love, if you're waiting for fierce love, I just want you to know this, is that human love, it will disappoint you. And I want you to be prepared for that. So this morning, if you're single and you're waiting for the ideal and you're still searching for the list of unicorn attributes, um, you will not find your list in another person aside from Jesus. You won't. You won't. Your perfectionism this morning needs Jesus, not someone else to perform their perfect jig for you. And this morning, if you're single, but you're cynical, and you're singed, and you're resigned that no one's going to love you, why? Why, why, why are you still waiting for the approval of who you are from a broken, weak, pathetic vessel of love? Um, you know that you can find that approval now. Um, you can take the crushing burden of that approval off of every prospective date you have on Hinge. And you can wait. You can wait in full approval from love itself as you wait for God's timing in your life. Like, I'm telling you, did you know that you can find contentment 
before you find the one. It is possible for you to find contentment in your heart. Um, If you're single this morning and you are desiring singleness and you don't need an intimate romantic relationship, did you know that Paul calls that a gift and a wonderful, wonderful thing? But that is not a rubber stamp of endorsement of introversion and a life apart from people. No, Paul thought this. He thought that being single meant that he could throw himself deeper into the community of God. So if your desire, this morning, if your desiring continued singleness uh, means that you have migrated into selfish isolation, then we need to go to work there, don't we? We need to pull you into greater community of Jesus' body, not less. If this morning you are dating, or you're looking towards marriage, or you're engaged, um, look, you've got to hear this from me and some older people. Your future mate and spouse will not, cannot fix you, or change you, or fulfill you, or meet your wildest needs and fantasies. They were not built for that. And they will not change what you want them to change. In yourself and in them. You need to hear that this morning. If you're newly married this morning, if your assumption is this, I, 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 I landed him or her and I found the safest, nicest, bestest, kindest person. Um, look, you cannot do this for your marriage. You cannot put them on that pedestal. It will kill them and it will crush them because they will never have the opportunity to be low and weak and failing and enter into the wholeness that God has planned for them. In the, in the words of Tim Keller, this is from uh, The Meaning of Marriage, he says, if love is a conditional performance, then it makes sense that you will eventually begin to lie to one another. And many of us have done that in small and large ways, but don't do this to each other when you're newly married. Don't put each other on a pedestal and say, oh, you have to be that perfection that I wanted you, so much wanted you to be. Um, if you're this morning, if, you, if you've been married for a while, the absence of all transcendent passion that you once put upon your poor mate to supply you does not mean that love is absent from your marriage. Perhaps love has begun to form deeper wells and deeper walls. If you've been married a long time this morning, did you know that you too must develop a deeper longing for love? Love, if you've been married a long time, love is not settling into predictable routines where you both know how to navigate perfectly around your respective porcupine quills. That's not love. You too must long for heaven and the love that will not let you go. And it goes deeper and deeper from strength to strength. This morning, if you are divorced, if you are split up, if you are separated, if you are absolutely struggling in a contentious, hostile marriage or relationship, listen, 
Of course. No human love stands. And this morning, you are not second rate. You are not second hand. Um, You are someone this morning who has tasted the cup of suffering from fake pseudo love. And now you know in a deeply felt and realized experience, you know what counterfeit love is. You can spot it. And you also know what the real thing looks like. Um, Listen to me, and I'm going to be gentle here. Your longing for love just can't be found in another mate, okay? It has to be in a mate that has experienced the love of the person who embodies it. Because none of us, none of us learned or learn love through trying. You know how we learned it? We learned it by being picked up. We learned it by being held and rocked and tossed and tickled and nuzzled. We didn't learn it through us trying. That's the way of the sociopath who mimics and tries his or her way to love. I end with this. Lesser loves, like all of our relationships, they will actually grow and thrive when the greater love is experienced. Look, look, Christianity describes Jesus as the only transcendent divinity that became eminent. What does eminent mean? Well, it means close, enfleshed, embodied, subject to all weakness. Why? For love, for love, for love. Now, how do you experience that? You breathe it in, and you've got to do this daily. You meditate on truth that is a countermeasure to all the lies that we believe. So, are you feeling lonely? I am with you. Are you feeling betrayed? I am faithful. Are you feeling discarded? A bruised reed I will not throw away. Are you feeling worthless? I paid full retail price of one dead God for you. Are you feeling invisible? I I know you. I see you. I count your hairs and I count your tears. See, see, the more you breathe in and experience a greater love, the less you'll try to extract it from those who don't have it. And you, and you, you'll become loving too. Our Father and our God, you are love. You are everything we long for and have not known. Help us experience your kind of love so that we may know it and also give it. In Jesus' name, amen.